0: Man, let's give him a clap <laughs> Jesus the Lamb of God the Savior of the world Lord of the universe he is beyond worthy he is worthy of our lives family he went to the cross for you he went to the cross for you Jesus was the eternal God eternal deity and in his omniscience we can say confidently he had brandon and dina on his mind he had richard on his mind he had you and i on his mind he was going to the he went to the cross for us so that we could be forgiven how great is the father's love that he's lavished on us through the lord jesus christ lord god you are worthy you're awesome, you're amazing, and Lord, we have, man, it feels like it's been a while since we've gathered, and Lord, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit, we thank you for fellowship, we thank you for your word, and we thank you most of all, God, that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our lives, he's worthy of our gathering, he's worthy of our worship, God, we just thank you. We praise you and magnify you now. And Lord, now as we get into the word, just speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening as we study your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All his people said? Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And, uh, I wanna open up and get our minds oriented in the right direction. Let's read the first um, six verses of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verses one through six says, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill treated since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Lord, thank you for your word, and Father, as we dive into it now, again, as I prayed a while ago, speak to our hearts, Lord. We are listening. The title of my my teaching this morning is Authentic Faith. Authentic Faith. What what does authentic faith faith look like? My friend, when you meet Christ, everything changes. For some of us, it's a radical, instant change. Some of us, it's a growing change, okay? Okay. Everybody grows in the Lord at different rates, but there's a change that takes place when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you become born again. It changes everything. It changes your outlook, the way you live, the way you associate with people, the way you deal with people. It changes everything. It changes your view of people you meet. Uh, how many guys ever heard of John Newton? Everybody should, everybody should be raising their hand. John Newton, he wrote Amazing Grace. I want to read to you um, about John Newton, who wrote one of the, the greatest, probably the greatest Christian song, the greatest hymnal in the world, John Newton. Before John Newton got saved, he was a slave trader. He commanded a slave ship called the Duke of Argyle. He was a harsh captain, he did very bad things to the slaves that he was over and they were on his ship. I'll leave it at that. But he was a very harsh uh, captain of a ship, of a slave ship. That was around 1750. In 1757, um, he heard the gospel and he became a Christian. He immediately left the slave trade and went on to become a pastor for the Anglican and the nonconformist community. His biblical repentance toward God caused him to deeply regret his involvement in the slave trade. After John Newton met Jesus Christ, he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel and working to abolish the African trade, slave trade. In his crusade, John Newton partnered with um, or joined forces with William Wilberforce in a campaign to abolish the slave trade. And at the very end of his life, in 1807, right before his death, John Newton was brought to tears in great joy as Britain's act to abolish the slave trade finally became law. John Newton had authentic faith. He was a man changed by grace. It changed everything. He, was a, he went from a slave trader, a ship captain that, 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 that treated people very harshly and very bad to loving them and caring for them and preaching the gospel, putting the gospel first, because we put the gospel first in everything. And behind that, he worked to abolish the slave trade along with William Wilberforce and he was successful. So that's an example of authentic faith. And as I was studying Hebrews um, chapter 13, what I see in this passage, at least what it spoke to my heart this week as I was preparing it is this is authentic faith. If you look at he- the book of Hebrews, is 13 chapters, chapters 1 through, this is heavy and it's theological, uh, verses, uh, Excuse me, chapters 1 through 12 are, are very deep, very theological, showing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But in this one chapter at the very end, the author of Hebrews uh, turns to application. So let's look this morning at what authentic faith looks like. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let's take it out. It says, let the love of the brethren continue and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So the first thing he says there in verse one, he says, let the love of the brethren continue. Authentic faith produces, okay, a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. God has put in a a love in my heart for people that were once strangers, for people that I once did not know. There was a point in time where I didn't know any of you guys, but because of our Christian faith and because of the love of God in my heart, He has given me a deep love for you. I hope and pray that you have a deep love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and and for the uh, family of God. That in verse one where it says, let the love of the brethren continue, in the original language where it says, love of the brethren, that's one word in the Greek, and guess what word it is? A famous city up north where there was just a controversy. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Talking about the, the phile love of God, but brotherly love. Jesus said in John chapter 13, he says, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's part of our witness. That's part of our witness, that that we love each other within the family of God. We'll talk about outside the body in a minute, but we love one another. When the world looks at Christians and they see all that agape love going on and all that philae love going on and they just care for each other and they just wanna be with one another, what's up with that? It's called God. It's called God has changed our heart and he's given us a love for one another. And he says, let the love of the brethren, very important word there at the very end, continue. When he says, let the love of the brethren continue, he means let it grow, let it grow, let it flourish. You know, God gives us a love, but as me and Maurice develop our friendship and we develop our relationship, guess what happens? Me and Maurice grow in our love for each other because we're brothers in Christ. And that's what takes place. Within the body of Christ. And then he continues in verse 2. He says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Again, authentic faith, remember that's the key word in my message authentic faith helps other people. Authentic faith that's been produced in our hearts by the Holy Spirit will, will help other people with food, with shelter with life, with clothing. It it, it desires to help other people. That's why we see a lot of Christian organizations around the world, they go into the communities and they help people. That is an authentic, that that is a sign of authentic faith. And then he says, who do we show hospitality to? It's an important word there. It says, to strangers. That means to everyone, to people we don't even know. You know, to people, we don't even know who they are, but we meet them for the first time and they have a need. And in the name of Christ, with the Spirit working in our lives, we desire to help even strangers because we know that that might be the seed that gets planted in their heart to bring them to Christ. Very, very important. And also notice there, you know, always do this. You never know. You might be entertaining an angel. Might be entertaining a messenger from heaven. Could be. It may happen. So so we love one another within the body. We also love the people outside the church. We love them with the love of Christ. We show hospitality. We help each other. Let's continue. Verse three. Verse three, he says, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body authentic faith remembers our brothers and sisters that are incarcerated it remembers our brothers and sisters that are imprisoned the author could have in mind the christians that were being persecuted and were being arrested for their faith in the first century that were that were being taken captive by rome But it also could be those who are converted in prison. You could apply this both ways. These could be people that are incarcerated. Or or it could be uh, people that got saved while they were in in prison. But but in many cases, people that are in prison are what? They're forgotten. They're forgotten. They get get put away. They get put in time out. Five years, ten years, twenty years for life. But there's still a soul on this earth. And they still need Christ Jesus. They still need the same thing that you and I need, which is salvation in Christ. They are souls in need of the Lord. And it says, um, but it, it says that there at the very end since you yourselves also are in the body, most likely the author is referring to Christians. That have been incarcerated, but I would also apply this to prison ministry. It's very important, you know. And one day, Calvary Chapel Irma will have a prison ministry. Hopefully, as someone steps up and says, "Hey, I want to lead this charge. I want to take take on this ministry," then that's a ministry we'll get behind. But that will come with growth. That will come as our body uh, gets bigger. Let's look at verse four. Verse four is a is another great verse. Every verse is a great verse. But verse four says. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Authentic faith is displayed in your view of marriage. What is the biblical view of marriage? The biblical view of marriage is one man, one woman, and a marriage covenant for life, and it says there, um, so when it says to be held in honor among all, we hold it in honor. We, in other words, we as Christians, we hold to what the Bible says is true about marriage. And then he says there, um, he gives some specific instructions for the marriage bed and for the relationship. He says, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Okay, this, this stings the ears of the world, but it's still the truth. And that is sex outside of marriage is sin. Sex, the act of sex, the gift of sex, is a gift from God to the husband and wife. And let me tell you something. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. It is holy. It is to be celebrated. It is to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. What happens under the sheets is mind blowingly amazing. It bonds the husband and wife. And anything that is done in a loving act, a giving act, and an agreed upon act is pleasing to God. It is pleasing to God. It is a very intimate moment between a husband and wife that is to be celebrated in joys. So what does this tell us? It says, husbands, wives, lock the doors, dim the lights, and enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your marriage. That's what it's meant for. It's meant to bond a husband and wife. And, and, and it's meant to be enjoyed. And on top of that, we get to have children. <laughs> but anyway, we get to have children, but we get to enjoy one another. That's the definition of marriage. And that's a biblical view of sex. Verse five, let's continue. Verse five, he says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. What does he say there in verse five? What's the key phrase there that that we can apply to our lives today in verse five? What is it? He says, uh, make sure your character is free from the love of money. We don't pursue money in life. You know, we don't pursue money. Our, our, our greatest pursuit in this life, Christian, is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing that competes the most with a Christian's relationship with Christ is greed, is money. And what does it do? If you're not careful, it will plunge you into ruins. Listen to what uh, Paul told Timothy. Timothy. In First Timothy chapter six, verses nine through eleven, he says, "Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kind of evils. Not the possession of money, but the passion, the, the greed. Uh, I want money, 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 money. Come to me. That is sinful." and it plunges people into all sorts of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, for for the believer, your satisfaction, your joy, your contentment is in the Lord, is in Christ Jesus. Money comes, money goes. One year you got a lot of money, the the next year you don't have a lot of money, but what will you always have? you'll always have Christ, okay? And my friend, I'm I'm just here to tell you now, if you've got Christ, you've got everything. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing, absolutely nothing. That, That green stuff in our banking account, it means nothing when it comes to knowing Christ and having him as your Lord and Savior. So authentic, authentic faith, you know, I like the phrase authentic faith. I'm, I'm trying to connect that phrase authentic faith to each verse. If I connected the word authentic faith to verse 5, I would say authentic faith pursues Christ over riches. Pursues Christ over riches. <coughs> we use money. Money doesn't use us. It's at, it's at, our, it's at our disposal to use for God's kingdom and God's glory and to take care of your family and pay your bills and, and do well in life. Verse six, verse six. Man, this verse right here, I almost sent out a Facebook post or something because as I was looking at verse six, I was thinking about all the Christians that I've seen on Facebook, who've gone on Facebook and they posted this week, you know, that, that, that their, their hearts are troubled. They 're greatly disturbed at the political situation in our country, and they're really it really upsets them that that our country is fixing to go from one president to the next and and they 're pretty wigged out about this and they 're scared and they 're frightened because what what we don 't know is fixing to take place that 's what came to my mind as I was meditating on verse six so let 's look at verse six this verse is for that believer. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Nothing. Say it again, Paul. Nothing. 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 Th- here's, the, here's my principle for verse six, if you're taking notes. Verse six teaches you and I, authentic faith, Christian faith is not shaken by man. Authentic faith in God is not shaken by the world around us. And I believe there's some believers that that need to hear that. Our confidence is not in our government. Our confidence is not in our president. Our confidence is not in our, it wasn't in the previous, our confidence was not in the previous president. It's not in the new president, okay? It's in none of them. It's not, it, it, it's, uh, it's not in our politics. Who spoke the universe into existence? Did the president or did God? God did. So our, our confidence is in the Lord, family. Our confidence is, is, is in him. And, and when we see the chaos and, you know, face, I, I, Facebook is, is the new red hot chili pepper Man, it's hot on there, man. People are saying all kinds of things and stuff is just flying to the left and to the right. But I'm not going to be shaken because my confidence and my faith is in the Lord because he is in charge. The New Testament says that, the, that Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, that phrase Lord, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, that, that word Lord it's, it's, it's a, um, a word that describes the sovereignty of Jesus, and He is in complete control. And what we're what we're gonna do is we are just gonna keep moving forward as a as a church, as a Bible teaching church. Calvary Chapel Irma is gonna be a watering hole. For Christians to come and gather and get into the word and get fellowship and get filled up and get re energized and then go out and do the things that Christians do, which is what we've been doing for the past 2,000 years, which is being a witness for Christ and doing the things that the Lord's word says. We will not be afraid. What will man do? And we will not bow to, to, to the standards of the culture but we will hold to the standards of scripture and his truth. So be encouraged, be encouraged. And I'm not trying to stand up here as some holier than thou person. There's some things I've seen over the past couple of weeks where I've been like, oh, what's going on here? And my knees are wobbling, but the Lord reassured me through his word. I'm not gonna be afraid. What will man do to me? I'm gonna put my trust in the Lord and I hope you will too. Verse seven, verse seven says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct. Excuse me, Imitate their faith. Authentic faith, this is, this is, this is kind of a difficult passage to kind of teach on because I'm like, okay, I'm talking about, your, you're talk, I'm, I'm going to be telling them how to talk to their or how to treat their pastor. But authentic faith love and supports your pastor. Authentic faith love and supports your pastor and your leaders. And as long as, your leaders and your pastor, as long as they are faithfully following Christ, follow their example. Follow their example. Pray for them. Don't, don't gossip. If you, have a, if you have an issue, and people have issues with me, they come and talk to me. I'm a human being. I, I can have a conversation. We can meet for a cup of coffee. But, 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 but pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastor. Please pray for me. Please pray for our elders and our deacons and our leaders and everyone here. Remember this concerning your pastor. He speaks to you on behalf of God. Please, you speak to God on behalf of him and, and pray for your leaders. You know, that's, that's huge. That's, that's a huge thing that's really needed today is that um, not only pray for me, but pray for the all the pastors all the Baptist churches and CLA and all the churches in our area. Let's pray for our leaders and let's pray for our pastors that the godly leadership leads all the churches towards the Lord, not just here, but everywhere. Let's pray for our leaders. Verse 8: Verse 8 is uh, I, when I got saved in 1992, I remember I bought my first Bible. It was a holy moment. I was like, wow, I got my first Bible. I was so excited. Those first couple Sundays I went to church with no Bible in my hand, just kind of walked in. But then when I bought that first Bible, I was like, man, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and I'm going to church. And I remember that first Bible, that first NIV Bible I bought, in the bottom right-hand corner I had Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8 on one side, and Hebrews 4.12 on the other side. But Hebrews 13.8, the verse we're looking at, this is our anchor, family. This is our anchor. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Here's the principle. Authentic faith is grounded in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Authentic faith is grounded in him. As I mentioned a while ago when I was talking about verse six, the world is changing, politics is changing, even religion is, is, is constantly changing, but Jesus does not change. His word does not change and his kingdom does not change. That is our anchor. That is our anchor. That is our hope. That is our cornerstone. That's why my friend, You can can build your life upon his word because it's an anchor. The word of God is a sure foundation. It's a sure foundation for your Christian walk. It's a sure foundation for your family. It's a sure foundation for your marriage. It's a sure foundation for your job. It's a sure foundation for everything that pertains to life and godliness because the author of this book who wrote this book is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew, he said, actually said it in multiple gospels, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's a foundation. And that's what we're doing this morning as we study the word. We're founding our life upon the truth of his word. Let's look at verse nine. Verse nine, he says, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Authentic, here's the principle in verse 9, authentic faith is grounded in the word of grace. Now what is he talking about here when he says don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings? The second half of verse 9 gives us some clues to what he's talking about when he says um, our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, though which those who were so occupied were not benefited. You We need to remember that the book of Hebrews, uh, the author is writing to who? He's writing to Jewish Christians. So I believe that these varied and strange teachings that he's talking about here in verse 9 is, is legalism. Is legalism, is ceremonial teachings, is is Levitical teachings. It, it, it's, being, it's, it's having a legalistic doctrine. It's having a legalistic view of life. It's following the laws of God and trusting in them for salvation, which isn't that there is no salvation. Uh, but what do they do? What does what if your life is is grounded in legalism, ceremonial teachings, levitical teachings, what does verse nine say, say it does? it'll take you away from grace. He says, do not be carried away for it's good for your heart to be strengthened with grace. So teachings on legalism and Levitical laws, ceremonial laws and following laws, it will pull you away from the doctrine of grace. Listen to what Paul said. Oh, actually, Luke wrote in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. This is Paul speaking to the elders. He says, so now then, brother, I commend you, to God and to the, here it is, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Do you know when you're studying the Bible and you're studying the word, it's like it, it, it's, it's a channel of grace into your heart because it's called the word of grace. And when you read your Bible in your devotional time, when you go to a Bible study, when you're hearing preaching, God is opening up our hearts and he is imparting grace. He's imparting grace. See legalism is is man trying to show off his religious good deeds. It is man trying to show off and say, look at me. But in biblical Christianity, authentic faith says, don't look at me, look at Christ. Look at the Lord. So we're not carried away by strange teachings. And that's why it's very important, I believe, that whether it's expository teaching or topical teaching, that all the teaching that needs to take place needs to be grounded in the word of grace, in the scriptures. If you study this Bible, if you study your Bible, you will not be a legalistic Christian. You will be a spirit-filled Christian who trust, like they'll say, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It sets you free. It brings joy. It brings freedom, the word of grace. Don't be carried away by all the other teachings. Verse 10. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, verse, as we finish up this passage, verse 10 through 13, there's been volumes and volumes of books and commentaries written on this passage. This passage is rich and deep, and I was was praying this morning, Lord, please help me get this right and let them see what the Lord is saying in this passage, especially when we get to verse 11. Let's look at verse 10, then we'll look at um, verses 11 through 14. So verse 10 says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So we, talking about the believers, have an altar. They have an altar that they can go to. What's an altar? An altar is a place of sacrifice. That he says there in verse 10, that, that those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, why is it that those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat? The reason is, is because those who serve in the tabernacle are trusting in Judaism. They're trusting in the Levitical and the ceremonial laws, and they're not willing to come over and trust in this altar that is real. So the altar is a place of sacrifice. What is the place of sacrifice? This is the altar for every single believer. The the cross of Jesus Christ is our our altar. The cross of Christ, where he died on the cross, on that hill called Calvary, is our altar. That is the altar that you and I go to when we trust God. And his death and, and, and his burial and his, his sacrifice made for our sins. It was at that cross, it was at that altar where the perfect sacrifice was made. The perfect sacrifice for sin was made for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if when you, you, you start studying the Levitical law and you start studying all the ceremonies and all the things that happened in the tabernacle and, and all the things that happened in the temple, they're, they're all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They're all fulfilled in the person of Christ Jesus. Listen to what the Puritan John Owen said. He said, the altar which we now have is Christ alone. This is John Owen's uh, quote on this verse. He says, his sacrifice, Jesus, excuse me, in his sacrifice, Jesus is the priest, the altar, and the sacrifice, all in himself. The entirety of the Levitical system finds its complete fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the cross, at this altar, looking at verse 10, we have an altar. That altar is, is Calvary. At this altar, at this place called Calvary, is the only place where God will meet a fallen man, is at the cross. At the cross is the entryway into a new and living relationship with God. It's at the cross that we are forgiven. It's at the cross that we are washed. It's at the cross that we're given the spirit by believing and trusting in his death. It's at the cross he makes us a new creature. It's at the cross for all of our sin, everything, our lying, our lusting, our adultery, our fornication, all of our violations of God's law that we've committed, that your pastor's committed. has been washed away through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My altar is the cross. I hope your altar is the cross also. Now, let's get into verses 11 11 through 14, 11 through 14. Okay, in this passage right here, um, what I wanted to do, because I want y'all to see the picture, is I went in and I underlined some phrases. I went in underlined some phrases, so I want you to pay attention to those phrases as we go through this passage. The principle in this passage is this. Authentic faith, here we go guys, sees and bears the reproach of Christ. Where's the author going in this passage? Look down at verse 13. He says, the, the application for you and I, he says, let us go out to him outside the camp. And there it is, bearing the Reproach. That's where the author is wanting us to go. And in order for the author to take us to that point of saying, hey, go outside and, and, and bear his reproach, he's going to lay out, uh, he's going he's to give you an outline here, and you got to follow it verse by verse. So let's look at it. Um, let me read the whole passage. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering four sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. And what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna highlight and teach on those four phrases that are underlying. So, there in verse 11, he says, uh, uh, The offering for sin are burned outside the camp. What's he talking about there, Pastor David? After the lamb's sacrifice in the temple, after its blood had been shed, after, after it had been sacrificed there at the brazen altar, there would be a corpse um, left over and the corpses would be stacking up there in in the temple court and they would be stinky and they'd be smelly and rigor mortis would be setting in. And so he says there in verse 11 that the offerings for sin are burned outside the camp, that what was left over from the temple sacrifices, they were taken out of the city. See, it it was a sanitary thing it to be removed from the city, and they were taken to a place where there was a garbage heap, where, the text says in verse 11, where um, they were burned. This is where the violators of the law were stoned. This is where the outcasts lived. This is where the lepers cried out, unclean, unclean. This was a place of rank, foul odor of dead animals and sewage. I'm giving you a fresh picture of what Calvary could have looked like in the first century. So that's what he says, the the leftover offerings for the sin in the temple were taken outside the camp to be burned, to be be done away with. Now look at verse 12. It says now, and now the subject goes from the uh, sacrifices, now the subject goes to the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood. What does it say? He suffered outside the gate. Christ was taken where the trash was taken. You know, at at Easter, we dress it up and we make it look real, real pretty. But Calvary was not a beautiful grassy knoll. With these beautiful flowers and trees and wind blowing and just beautiful skies, and it was a dark place. Calvary. Remember, um, the the Persians created uh, the process of crucifixion. The Romans during the first century they perfected the skill of crucifixion, and crucifixion was meant to do two things. It was meant to inflict pain on the one who had done wrong and it was also meant to tell everyone around in the community this is what will happen to you if you go against Rome. We will take you out. And this place um, where there's burning, this, this place where Jesus was taken, Calvary, it was a place of filth. It was a place of shame and it was a place of reproach. So verse 11, you have what's done with the Sacrifice, after it's complete, is taken out and burned. Get that foul thing away from here. Jesus, the Lamb of God, eternal God, deity. You know, if, if in our rational thinking minds, we would think when Christ came to earth, he would be in Rome. He'd be at the top of the palace because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And he's in charge of the world. But where is he at? He's in a place that some called Gehenna. He's in a place of, 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 of filth and shame and reproach, the eternal God. So Christ was taken there. Now, verse 13. So, verse 11, you have what's done with the offering. Verse 12, you have where Jesus went. Now, look at the admonition, admonition to you and I and to the believers of the first century. He says, So let us go, let us. That's Christians, that's believers. That's maybe the, the, Jew, the, the, the Jewish people that he's, he's, he's witnessing to say, come to Christ, leave Judaism, leave the temple ways, leave the ceremonial laws and come to Christ and let us, and the key phrase is, let us go out to him. Let us go outside the camp. What? Bearing his reproach. So the, the, the scripture is telling you and I to bear that same reproach that Christ experienced as God the Son was taken out of Jerusalem to a hill called Calvary that was not very pretty. It was a place of suffering, filth, and shame. And it says, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. And here's the, here's the principle of authentic faith. Authentic faith uh, sees, bears, and understands the reproach of Christ. Isaiah the prophet said he was numbered with the transgressors. It wasn't a a pomp life. He he, he walked the streets, the, the land of Israel in sandals. Many times he didn't have a place to sleep. He had disciples that were committed to him at one point and the next minute they were jumping ship. It was a very difficult and challenging ministry when Christ was here on earth. And, and for you and me today, the, the application, authentic faith bears the reproach of Christ. It means that you and I understand that the Christian life is not always a bed of roses. The Christian life can be difficult. It can be very challenging. And there will be times in our life for the cause of Christ that we may experience defamation of character. We may experience dishonor. We may experience scorn. And if that, if not it might not happen to everybody, but if it does happen to you, understand that your Savior went before you, that the exact same thing happened to your Lord and to your Savior, the eternal Son of God. mean, he welcomed the little children. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. This guy was amazing. Jesus was awesome. But then when you go to the end of the Gospels and you see what the Roman soldiers did to him, he didn't deserve that. But that was the way they treated him. They treated him with reproach. Christ was rejected by this fallen world. And there will be times in our life where we take a stand for Christ and we may experience rejection. And if you get to that, if that happens to you in your life, remember, it started with Christ, okay? So you're in good company if that happens to you. This is authentic faith, family. This is authentic faith that we understand the reproach of Christ, that we know that our altar is Calvary, that we're not carried away by strange teachings, but we're strengthened in the truth of grace. That's what I love about Calvary Chapel, when I first visited Calvary Chapel, 2006, 2007, I'm looking at my wife, she's giving me a little nod here. But somewhere around that phrase, the, the emphasis on grace. We are not legalistic believers. If, if that, even though that word's an oxymoron, because you can't be a legalistic believer. You can be a spirit-filled, grace-led believer. Our, our, our authentic faith, we know that he doesn't change we love and support our pastor and our, and our leaders. As long as they're following Christ, we follow their example. We will not be shaken. We, will, we haven't been shaken in, we, we have shaken in the past. We will not be shaken in the future. We, we hold marriage in honor. And um, it, for husbands and wives, we celebrate marriage and we enjoy marriage. And it's a beautiful, awesome thing. We uh, pursue Christ over riches. We remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who are imprisoned for the gospel. We show hospitality to strangers. Can, can you get any more application on a Sunday morning? This, this is great to be in this, this chapter this Sunday and next Sunday because we have been diving deep for the past 10 months through the first um, 12 chapters of Hebrews. It's been very theological, but now we have application So, family, let's pray this morning that God continues to grow us in authentic Christian faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the the truth and for the, the meal that we've just had studying your word. And, Father, I pray that you will strengthen us in grace. You'll strengthen us in truth. You'll strengthen us in the spirit. And Father, nobody's perfect. Nobody's got it all together. We understand we all have room for growth and room for improvement. But will you build our faith? Will you make it more authentic today and tomorrow than it was yesterday? So Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you that you are molding us into authentic, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, Father.